another edition of the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. I'm your host, Tony Levitt, coming to you with another jam-packed episode. I have to be frank with you guys. We're at home, we're quarantining, and I didn't expect to have a week with, by my count, four major stories. And yet, here we are. I texted my boss, Connor Tapp, yesterday, and I said, honestly, I think this college basketball show is going to be pretty sweet tomorrow. That's today. So I'm really excited. But, you know, there's, there's just so much going on in the world of the NCAA, not even all of it relevant to us. We have schools desperately trying to maintain funding and support for all of their athletic programs, you know, Olympic sports, non-revenue sports, as well as furloughing some employees, unfortunately, cutting back on executive and coaching salaries. And all this is happening while the content mill continues to roll. You know, there are two stories that happened this week that I'm not even going to be able to cover on this episode. We're going to we're going to have to come back to them later. We had first Wake Forest fired coach Danny Manning this weekend. You know, I, I think at the end of the season, many people thought that Manning might have been on the chopping block. You know, he, he was definitely on the hot seat. Only a handful of wins in the ACC every year. And, and to be quite frank with you guys, <laughs> Wake Forest has been an ACC bottom feeder, you know, barring one year when they had Ish Smith and Al Farouk Aminu. I mean, since I was like in elementary school. So it's no surprise to hear about a coaching change for Wake Forest. We're not going to be able to cover that today. You know, when Wake Forest hires a new coach, I think we'll hop on that. But for now, that's that's all we're going to talk about for Danny Manning. And then another story, just yesterday, I finished recording all of the interviews. And then we see Dacian Nix, five-star point guard who had prior committed to UCLA, number 11 player overall in the 24-7 sports composite for the class of 2020. He decided to rescind his commitment to UCLA and accept an offer to participate in the G League Developmental League. We're not going to be able to cover that today because it's a packed week. But luckily for us, our buddy Evan Daniels hopped on CBS Sports HQ yesterday. Here's a slight clip from his interview. This has been something that's been rumored over the past couple days. I spoke to Dacia Nix uh, just a couple hours ago, and he was very excited about this choice. He said the NBA has always been a dream for him, and he considers the G League just one step away. Uh, he said that these have been ongoing conversations really since the fall. I know he signed a letter of intent to UCLA, and this is obviously uh, tough news uh, if you're Mick Cronin because Dacia Nix is a tremendous talent, a top 15 uh, player in the country. He's got plus positional size at six foot five. He's got good strength. He's physical. Uh, but where I'm really impressed with him uh, is his ability to run a team. This is a kid with a tremendous feel for the game. He makes uh, really good decisions uh, and good reads and ball screen situations, also in transition. I think his vision is tremendous. Uh, and it's a kid that's a really gifted passer. He can whip passes across the court uh, with either hand. So uh, he's a true lead guard and he's starting to improve as a scorer and, and getting to the rim and can finish through contact. So uh, the NBA G League's getting a good player. This is the third five-star prospect to decide to go the NBA G, G League route. Uh, Daisha Nix joins Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd. So uh, it's certainly a, an option that's picking up steam among the elite recruits in the country. So as you hear from Evan, this is a really good player, another really good player that the NCAA is losing to the G League Developmental League. And we've been covering this story for the past two weeks. We're going to continue to cover this story. 
because it feels like every single day there are new details coming out. How many teams are there going to be? Who all are going to be part of these teams? If the G League isn't going to be able to fill up these developmental teams, one team, two teams, four teams, I don't know how many, with five-star players who would have gone to the NCAA, who's going to be playing on these teams? Details continue to come out, and I think the NCAA is responding in kind. A name, image, and likeness working group that met yesterday, uh, word has come out that they are likely going to suggest a vote on name, image, and likeness as early as this upcoming January. So that's another story that unfortunately we just don't have time to cover today. We're definitely, definitely, definitely going to be coming back to that in the near future. But for now, we're just going to have to say goodbye to Dacia Nicks and move on. The bulk of today's episode, we've got Greg Brown, 6'9 forward from Austin, Texas, five-star, number nine in the 24-7 sports composite. He committed to his local school, University of Texas, to Shaka Smart. And Kerwin Walton, a 6'5 shooting guard from Minnesota, four-star, number 99 in the composite. You know, he is a shooter, a guy who, as you'll hear later... Uh, has inspired mixed reviews among the 24-7 sports experts. Nonetheless, he is the sixth commit to University of North Carolina in the class of 2020, and they've got the number three class in the country. So today, we're going to talk to Jeff Howe from Horns 24-7 about Greg Brown and Texas's future, and then we're going to bring in Sherelle McMillan from Inside Carolina to talk about Kerwin Walton and UNC's strong, strong class of 2020. But before we get there, I do want to uh, remind everybody... Please subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're, we're there. We'd love to hear five-star rating and reviews. Those really make a difference for us. And if you have a question, a topic, a subject that you want us to cover on the show, put that in a five-star review. We'll cover that. That's a promise. Please get those in. Subscribe. That's the fastest way to get the podcast. I know a lot of you get the podcast via embeds on 247sports.com. Thank you for going to the website. But do yourself a favor. Subscribe. Let it come straight to your phone. You don't have to search out an article. You don't have to look, see if we've embedded it yet. It'll come right to your phone. I saw yesterday Apple had to send out a press release that the shows are not appearing on Apple Podcasts fast enough. But you know who wasn't impacted by this? People who are subscribed. They get that show right away, despite this problem with Apple. So really, it's a good idea to subscribe, get the show as soon as you can, and let's move on into the show. So we're going to start with Jeff Howe from Horns 24-7 to talk about Texas Longhorns and Greg Brown, their pearl. Best recruit in a couple of years, really strong player. But before we get to Jeff, I called up our man, Jerry Meyer, to hear his scouting take on what Greg Brown brings to the table, where he's a bit limited as a player, and what he's going to be bringing to Texas. So here's Jerry. Greg Brown, to me, is not that guy who's meant to be thrown into a college situation as a freshman where he's the go-to guy expected, you know, to get 20 plus points a game, you know, do that type of deal or, you know, get around 20 a game. But his athleticism is unbelievable. He is one of the most athletic players I've ever scouted. Um, Just a phenomenal, explosive athlete, runs like a deer and does it with great length. As you might imagine, I'm going to say has kind of a raw game. But I see a lot of Kevin Knox in him, a former Kentucky star, uh, with the Knicks now um, in that he has, you know, primber skills and he has great length and great athleticism. But the 
uh, perimeter skills are, are, you know, at a raw stage. So the big question is, uh, at what rate will they improve? And, you know, just to throw a negative in there for Texas, <laughs> the fear is, you know, will we get the benefits of his great upside? You know, will he make that instant impact at the college level, be physical enough, be good enough in tight spaces, uh, be good enough in the half court where we really get the benefit of a top 10 player, you know, or is is that going to be something that a pro team gets, you know, three years down the line? All right. And now that you guys are armed with that information, I'm going to bring in Jeff Howe from Horns 24-7 and the Longhorn Blitz podcast to talk about Greg Brown and Texas basketball. Back now, 24-7 Sports, college basketball show with Jeff Howe. Jeff Howe writes for Horns 24-7 and is on the Longhorn Blitz podcast on the Horns 24-7 Sports Podcast Network. He is absolutely a phenom. Jeff, glad to have you on the show. Danny, thanks for having me. It's it's good to actually be talking about Texas basketball in a relatively positive light for a change. I know. You know, there there is a serious uh, Texas contingent in the national office, and so I hear a lot about Texas. You know, often I'm uh, producing Bobby Burton, Trey Scott, and these guys, they're, they're down. They're down about Texas basketball. And now Greg Brown comes. He commits to Texas over Kentucky, Memphis, Auburn, Michigan, and not to mention the G League with a reported $400,000 paycheck. You know, how important and exciting was it for Texas basketball to secure the local kid? Yeah, this was one Texas had to have. You know, Shaka Smart has put a ton of time and effort into this recruitment. I think going back to probably when Greg was in the eighth grade, I think is when they really established. Yeah, it was when they really established that relationship. And there were a lot of Texas connections to this one. I mean, Greg's dad... Played football at Texas, was an all-Big 12 defensive back, and played a couple of years in the NFL. Uh, his uncle, Roderick Anderson, is, is all over the Texas record books for for what he did in the mid-'90s. So uh, I believe Greg's mom went to Texas. So a lot of Texas ties in that family. And this is one that Shaka had to have. And I think Texas knew what they were getting into, Tanny. You know, when you look at these recruitments, when you're a top-five, top-ten-type guy, which Greg Brown was, and you're in one of those recruitments, you know you're going to play the long game. And Shaka's had to do that before. They did it with Jared Allen. Uh, they did it with Mobamba. So he knew, hey, look, we're not going to sign anybody in the early period. They had no seniors on this roster. Everybody's coming back. So really, they were only working with one scholarship. They were tinkering with the idea of, hey, do we add a guard? If And there were a couple of guys they really liked, but they knew if they ended up with one recruit in this class, it had to be Greg Brown. You know, the G League offer, that really threw a monkey wrench into the whole thing late in the process because – uh, you know, everybody saw, you know, what happened with, with Jalen Green and that whole situation. And, you know, the the offer comes in for Greg and it was a pretty lucrative offer. But I think at the end of the day, had Shaka Smart not established that relationship, I think that G League offer would have been much more enticing. But I think the combination of Shaka's relationship plus the Texas ties, plus the fact that Greg, since he's so close to campus, he's been within that program. He's almost a part of the program at this point. Those relationships he's got with guys in the locker room, all those things that Texas has spent so much time and effort working to to really build helped at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and I, I wanted to um, highlight one thing you said there. You know, The first thing Bobby Britton taught me about recruiting in Texas, basketball, football, or otherwise, is that it matters what town you're from. And when you, and, you, know, you talked about all these ties to Texas, you know, the university. Well, he grew up in Austin. What what is is it extra special that, you know, the the basketball team was able to bring in a guy who's, you know, from the same town as the university? 
Yeah, I think in that regard, it's real similar to what happened with Jared Allen. Or Jared Allen was a kid that was right up the street. Uh, what didn't go to a big public school, went to a small private school. But uh, you know, same deal. Just you know, you, when you talk about guys and what, can you take an unofficial visit? Can you take an official visit, Greg? I, you lose count of how many times he took unofficial visits to Texas, and it wasn't even. Uh, anything formal sometimes is just dropping by and, and going to the office and, and hanging out with Shaka and, and maybe just having a quick conversation. So, yeah, I, I think it's big, but I, I think too, you know, Texas basketball fans, Tanny, they're, they're not, it's not like Texas football or even Texas baseball where there's a constant, consistent thirst for information for the product. Um, you almost have to put out something, hey, give us a reason to show up, give us a reason to cheer. And so I think anytime you get a guy with local ties, plus when you look at the way this roster is constructed, I think there's a buzz now. I think people are excited this coming season to see, okay, you knew this roster had a chance to be good, but now you throw the local kid, you throw Greg Brown into the mix, who, let's face it, I mean, he's going to be in Texas for one year. Shaka knows what he's getting into. He did this with Mo Bamba. You know you've got this guy for one year, and then he's going to be a lottery pick next spring. Um, everybody's really interested to see what this local kid can do and, and if he can help get Texas back to the point where a lot of people remember the program being not that long ago. Absolutely. I'm, I'm absolutely going to ask you about you know this upcoming season. But before we get there, I have a theory that I want to run by you. Okay. So, you know, with with Jalen Green committing to the G League, Isaiah Todd as well, and there's talk now uh, again that until there's name, image, and likeness legislation, the top guys, uh, you know, the top recruits are going to you know go to the G League, take some money. Um, and my theory is as follows: the people who are going to choose college basketball over the G League and money are the ones with an emotional tie to college. You know, whether it's playing with your friends like Zion, choosing a local school like Greg Brown, or someone who's just like always wanted to compete in the you know NCAA tournament. And I'm curious, you know, what do you make of this new G League developmental team, the way it's kind of poaching top recruits, and what do you think of my theory, kind of together? Yeah, I think your theory, I think you're onto something. And Shaka Smart mentioned this when we talked to him this week, and I think he was right also. You know, take a guy like Mo Bamba, right? Mo Bamba was at a time a couple of years before the G League deal started, obviously, right? So Mo Bamba was a guy who really valued some of the things that you can get out of a college experience, you know, networking, building business connections, uh, the, the, a school with an alumni reach like Texas has. You know, Mo Bamba valued some of those things, the ability to just be a college kid. So uh, I do think there are going to be guys that for whatever reason, like you said, whether it's playing with your buddies or you're a local kid or you're like Mo Bamba and you just value some of the things that that college experience is going to give you, you'll go to college for the year. Um, I do think whether it's financial reasons or, or whatever, maybe, you know, let's face it, like college isn't for everybody. Some guys just don't want to deal with being in a classroom, even if it's for a semester. Some guys are going to take the G League route. So I, I do think, though, at some point the NBA needs to really address this because it seems like they kind of just keep kicking the can down the road in terms of the one done rule. And then, hey, you know, it's, it's not our deal. And, and there's, you know, the NBA is not going to do anything about it. And the NCAA is going to take the stance. Well, until the NBA changes their rule, we're not going to do anything with, with what we've got going. So uh, I do think the G League is kind of the happy medium for guys that really don't value the college experience or for financial concerns. And, you know, they maybe they don't want to go overseas like – you know, Terrence Ferguson or some of these other guys have done so. But I do think at the end of the day, if there are going to be still be a healthy share of guys that value that college experience. The, the key for college coaches, especially a guy like Shaka Smart, is when you're recruiting guys, the quicker you figure out, okay, this guy really does value the college experience and 
we feel like we can get him on our campus. If you spend the whole cycle, you know, had Greg Brown gone to the G League, it would have been disastrous for Texas because now you don't have time to fill that scholarship spot. And you know, now that we're in a dead period, you can't bring even a grad transfer on campus or anything. So Texas would have been in a really tough spot. So I think the challenge for the coaches is how early in the process can you identify those guys that you know it's probably not even put it worth putting that much time and effort in because you know that G League opportunity with that carrot dangled out from these guys, they're going to take it. So don't even waste your time. Uh huh. So I, I'm for the following two questions. I'm gonna work under the assumption that there will be a college basketball season. You know whether it starts late or not, kind of immaterial. I you know I, I would be distraught if there was no college basketball this fall winter whenever it happens so Shaka is bringing back the majority of his team a team that at the end of the season was really streaking and now brought in a top 10 recruit and next thing you know they're ranked in a lot of the two early uh top 25s and you know I know a lot of fan bases when they see their team in these you know early top 25s some of them get really excited and then some of them say no you don't understand how awful our team is and so i'm curious to hear where you stand do you think it's fair that texas is now being in the conversation for the top 25 going into next season from a pure talent standpoint when you look at the roster yeah absolutely i mean you're not going to find a more athletic front court in the country than what texas can put on the floor when you talk about greg brown Kai Jones and Jericho Sims. I mean, those are that's three human pogo sticks. I mean, good luck crashing the boards with those three guys, right? I mean, you just can't match that athleticism. That said, it's really interesting, Tanny, when you start looking at Shaka Smart's tenure, right? He's had rosters before where you looked at it and said, okay, you know, this is a roster that can compete. But even, I mean, you go back to his first year, you know, they beat North Carolina at home. They're in the top 25, and then Cam Ridley breaks, uh, you know, I think broke his wrist or foot. I can't remember. You know, he had a team his third year where he gets Mobamba. You've got Andrew Jones as a sophomore. You, th- that team went to the PK 80 in Portland, took Duke and Gonzaga to overtime. And you're like, wow, okay, this team could really be something in February and March. Andrew Jones breaks his wrist and then gets diagnosed with leukemia. And then Mobamba gets hurt late in the year. It just kind of all fell apart. So you've had these situations where shock has had these teams where you look on paper and say, yeah, they could be really good, but whether it's, you know something stylistically because texas hasn't played the same style of, of play they haven't utilized the style of play that really won him games at vcu and got him the texas job plus they've just had bad luck in some instances it's been kind of a combination of both of those things it just hasn't worked out so i, I think texas fans maybe guarded optimism might be the best way to put it but i think the toughest thing for shaka is going to be okay you bring back your roster and yes they were playing really the entire team and yes they were playing really well at the end of the year and you're going to add greg brown in that mix how do you now go about figuring out okay what are the best lineup combinations how deep does your bench need to be because i think before that you know that group you mentioned in, in the five game winning streak they had I mean, jericho sims was out with a back injury jace febris was out with a knee matt coleman missed a game with a heel injury gerald liddell missed the pretty much the entire big 12 schedule with a back injury so i mean there were games where they were down to like seven or eight scholarship guys and the shorter bench, it seemed like he really got more juice out of the lineup. So now that you're going to have a full complement of scholarship guys, you know what? Is, you know you probably can't have a, a ten or eleven deep bench. You probably really got to figure out okay, who are seven, eight best guys and, and roll with those. So I think just in minute distribution and figuring out the right lineup combination, that's going to be the biggest challenge for Shaka. It's not talent because when you look at just the talent Texas has, they're absolutely a top twenty, maybe even a top fifteen type team. Okay, so final question. With all that in mind, 
you know, what does a successful 2020 season look like for Texas? Because, you know, it feels like Shaka's been on the quote unquote hot seat since, you know, five minutes after he arrived in Austin. And I saw on our own website, 247sports.com, that Shaka's mentioned in conjunction with a Wake Forest job again. What does Shaka have to do to save his job? Is there a possibility that he could have a good season and still leave? You know, what's the deal with Shaka next year? Yeah, well, I can tell you Shaka's not getting that, taking that Wake Forest job now because you don't sign Greg Brown and bring back this roster. And, and that's, you know, the Wake Forest the timing of that deal. That's drama for another day, obviously. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, you know, what is a successful season for Texas under Shaka Smart? I think it's in terms of what cosmetically it would look like. I think it's what it looked like they were maybe going to be last year. I think, you know, probably getting the 20 wins in the regular season. If you can finish in the top three in the big 12, that's probably going to mean more next year because I think top to bottom, uh, the league is going to be better. You know, Kansas is always going to be Kansas. You know, Scott Drew is going to have a good chunk of that roster back at Baylor. You know, West Virginia, I think is going to take a step forward, returning a lot of guys. You know, we'll see what happens with Texas tech. And I could go on down the list. Oklahoma state from a talent standpoint is going to be, miles better than they were this year so i think top to bottom the league is going to be better so if texas could finish in the top two or three in the league uh make win a couple games in the big 12 tournament and probably be you know maybe i think a four or five seed in the ncaa tournament with a really legitimate chance to get to that second weekend uh then i think shock is fine i think now is the time where you look at this team under shock is smart and say okay there are no more excuses you've got you're bringing your entire roster back you've got greg brown if you can't get in a position to get to the second weekend of the tournament, then it's just not going to work. And I, like I said, there's been a, a whole variety of reasons why it hasn't worked. But I think now, now is the time. If it's not going to happen this year, where Texas makes a run at getting to that, well, think about this. You know, you think about all the great players Texas has had. You know, TJ Ford took them to a Final Four. This program that's had you know, Kevin Durant and Tristan Thompson and Mo Bamba. Texas hasn't been to the second weekend of the tournament since 2008. It's been over a decade since they've been to the second weekend. So if you can't, if Shaka Smart can't get there with this roster, then it's probably just not going to work out for him in Austin. Well, there you have it. That's Jeff Howe. Read him in Hordes 24-7. Listen to him on the Longhorn Blitz. You guys put out episodes on Thursdays, right? Thursday, every Thursday morning. Yep. That's right. Longhorn Blitz every Thursday morning in the Horns 24-7 Sports podcast feed. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, Tony, thanks for having me. All right, we're back, and it's time to talk about the number three class in the class of 2020. That is the North Carolina Tar Heels. And there's nobody better to bring in than Terrell McMillan from inside Carolina. He's there recruiting ace and a great guy to talk to and you know since he and i spoke just yesterday afternoon he broke another story that unc commit caleb love their their star point guard the jewel of this class he turned down an offer to the g league uh to play for upwards of three hundred thousand dollars so this is like I said, th- there is so much going on in the world of college basketball. It's all intertwined. And unfortunately, Sherelle and I talked before he broke that story. But uh, just keep that in mind as we talk about it, because I think it's relevant and, it- and it's interesting and it gives color to the strength of this North Carolina class. And speaking of this North Carolina class, I wanted to let you hear from Jerry Meyer again real quick before we talk to Sherelle so that you can have a sense for these players before Sherelle and I begin the conversation. Yeah, like there's a lot of mixed opinions on Kerwin Walton, uh, even within our staff. And we're dealing with rankings now. And of the four of us, you know, people are at a lot of different places on him. Um, he's not the most athletic. 
he's kind of a thick, stocky guy. He doesn't, he doesn't really pass the airport test. Doesn't look like that, you know, elite type athlete, but he can play. He's a solid player with, you know, six, five height and very thick, but he can really, really, really shoot like one of the top shooters in the class. If, if questionably might be, um, arguably might be the top shooter. That's, an elite quality to me. <laughs> so I like the guy a lot. All right. Thanks again, Jerry. And now here's my conversation with Sherelle McMillan. And we're back now with Sherelle McMillan from inside Carolina. We have a lot to discuss about UNC basketball because they have the number three class in the country with six commits, and they're coming off a bizarre, awful, historically bad year in North Carolina's history. So Sherelle, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So let's start with Kerwin Walton, the latest of UNC's six commits. He's a 6'5 shooter, and I'm curious, there are a lot of moving parts at UNC this year with all these new faces coming in and a lot of people transferring away. How does Kerwin Walton figure into your projected rotation? I think what you know the listeners to this podcast heard earlier from Jerry is that he's a shooter. And I think he doesn't like being called a specialist, but coming into North Carolina as a freshman, that's the thing that he can contribute the most. And as he gets older and he gets stronger, he can, you know, give more, he can be a better defender. He can be a passer. He can be a slasher. But as you said, they were historically bad from three point shooting last year. Um, uh, it was one of the worst in, in Roy Williams entire era um, as a head coach and Walton can come in immediately kind of a plug and play guy and uh, hit shots. They're expecting to have, a really good group of big men and you would expect that Caleb Love and Andre Davis um, can find some room to, to penetrate and kick and they need someone who can hit open shots and Walton has proven that uh, throughout high school and AAU ball that he can definitely hit open shots. Yeah, and to be honest, I kind of feel like if Roy Williams was only allowed to play freshman next year, he'd still run out a solid team. Along with Walton, Coach Williams brought in combo guard R.J. Davis, small forward Puff Johnson, and three top 20 guys in point guard Caleb Love, Walker Kessler, and Dayron Sharp. And with so much talent coming into Chapel Hill, you know who among these guys are you most excited for? I think you've got to start, um, considering the issues that they had last year, you have to start with the guard play. Um, Cole Anthony was, was great when he played. He he admits he probably could have played better. Um, but outside of Cole Anthony, they didn't have much in the backcourt last season. And I think having two guys like Caleb Love um, and R.J. Davis who can come in, who can both play on the ball, both play off the ball, um, who are very good good to very good shooters, uh, who can penetrate with the best of them, who can finish with the best of them. I think having two guys like that really um, amps up what North Carolina tries to do, which is, you know, the answer to everything in Carolina is run faster. So, like, do you need to get offensive rebound? No, run faster. Do you need to play defense? Yes, but run faster. That's kind of their um, – that's the, the ideology that, you know, which they subscribe to. And I think that having R.J. Davis and Caleb Love, they'll be able to play a little bit faster, which will mask some of the issues that maybe they'll still have uh, with welcoming six freshmen in, um, also bringing Anthony Harris back, coming off of an injury from last year, and then with the returning players like uh, Armando Baycott, Garrison Brooks, and Leaky Black. Wow, you basically just read my next question, and I know you don't have access to my Google Doc, but you figured it out. I mean, with all this new talent coming in and a significant amount of experience, I think, you know, coming back to the team, how are you calibrating your expectations going into next season? 
Well, I think they need to be tempered. Uh, a part of it is we, we talk about shooting and we talk about that's a, a huge need for them, especially, uh, you know, just increasing their offensive output overall. Um, I think you have to temper your expectations just because uh, if you look at numbers in college basketball, freshmen in general as a whole just don't shoot well um, from beyond the arc. Now, there are, you know, a few examples here and there, um, but generally you're not going to find many 40% shooters from three as freshmen. And North Carolina shooters are going to be almost exclusively freshmen next year. So you have to think about that um, and, you know, how they'll handle being able to play against stronger, tougher, faster, more athletic competition, how they'll adjust. And then, um, you know, frankly, the coronavirus pandemic is an issue as well, because most of the time, the way it works at UNC, their guys enroll in June and they enroll for the second summer session. And that gives them a chance to play pickup against former players and, you know, they have a couple of practices that the NCAA allows and they have, you know, drills and work and just uh, strength and conditioning. They get accustomed to college and they're going to miss all of that this year. So the, the curve is going to be a little bit worse for them or, or steeper for them um, just because they're not going to have that experience if they're allowed to come back to campus in the fall. Um, practice usually starts in late September. And, uh, you know, I, I just wonder how far behind they'll be because they won't have that kind of acclimation period in the summer. Zank, I was unaware of all of that. So quick follow-up. Do you think any of these recruits are one-and-done types? And do you think the coronavirus has impacted that calculation for these guys at all? I, I think they have three guys who could, could be one-and-done still, um, regardless of what happens with the coronavirus pandemic. Um, you know, I, I think moving forward, it, it's just a matter of um, how they play, honestly. You know, if you look at some mock drafts, there are a couple other guys who are in the first round. And if you look at how North Carolina is recruiting a little bit in the 2021 class, then you can kind of make some assumptions about who might leave or who is thinking about leaving. Because frankly, you know, if you're, if you're a, a really good high school basketball player and the NBA scouts have seen you in ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, you know, um, at the camps and all these showcases and everything, I, I don't know how much their opinion is going to change of you because college basketball uh, if you look at uh, Darius Garland, who played for Vanderbilt, he missed the entire season. But because scouts had seen him uh, countless times on the AAU circuit, at USA basketball events, at camps, at uh, you know uh, the Jordan game and the McDonald's game and all-star events, they kind of knew what he was already. And that's why he went as high as he did in an NBA draft. So, uh, you know, I think it, it can help uh, in increments as far as having them on campus and, and playing games and, and everything. But the kind of book is already out on most of these guys, and it's not going to change tremendously because of a college basketball season, in my opinion. Got it. So in the first part of the show, I had Jeff Howe on from Horns 24-7. We were talking about Greg Brown in Texas, and, and I ran a theory by him that I'd like to get your take on as well. So Greg Brown reportedly turned down an offer to join the, to join the G League developmental team. And my theory uh, kind of builds off of this, where I feel like Greg Brown is a kid from Austin, and he chose to go to a school in Austin. And Zion Williamson chose not to end his college career, and instead he wanted to play with his friends. I think that the people who are going to turn down G League offers are the kinds of people who have some sort of emotional tie to college basketball, whether they grew up going to the NCAA tournament or the team that they've committed to has a bunch of their friends on it or they're playing for the local team. That's the kind of thing that my theory, I think, 
is that those kinds of kids are going to be the ones who stay in school among the elite recruits. I'm curious to get your take on this and, and just in general, your take on the new G League Developmental League. Well, I think it's a great thing um, because you know, the players shouldn't be forced to go to college, in my opinion. Um, I know people will say, well, they don't have to go to college. But if we're being realistic, like going to Australia for a 17-year-old and building your brand probably, in my opinion, isn't the best move uh, for if it was my son. Um, everybody has their own journey to take. So I, I know some, some people have done that, but I wouldn't do that for my son. I think the G League thing um, – I'm curious to see they, the reports are varied. So some people say there's going to be one to two teams in the select group. And some people say there's going to be four to five. Um, I think when you start talking about four to five is where the impact of college basketball uh, really starts to show its head. Cause then you're looking at, you know, the top 20, 25 players, maybe not even coming to college. And as it is, there's always already a, a lack of talent in college basketball. And just imagine the number 30 ranked player in the country essentially being the number one ranked player entering college. That would diminish the college game even more than it already is. So that is a concern, I think, for college basketball. But um, I just don't know if the NBA really wants to put those kind of resources into, you know, $400,000, $500,000 contracts and, and, you know, everything that we're talking about with 30 to 32 players. Um, I think a lot of it depends on these first couple of groups and how they do um, how um, they uh, really just how they do in the NBA, I guess, how, how they handle that first season and then how they uh, work out in the NBA. So uh, I think it's possible that it could be a really big deal for college basketball, but I think it'll kind of land somewhere in the middle. I, I would be surprised if there were like five teams of seven or eight guys who they picked out from high school every year. Uh, but, you know, I guess you never know. Okay, I have one final question for you, and then I'll let you go, because I know you're a busy man. So, I'm not sure if you're aware, but one of our national recruiting editors over on the football side, his name is Brandon Huffman. <laughs> and I produce a podcast with Brandon and Blair Angulo called West of the Rest about West Coast football recruiting. And Blair has been giving Brandon a really hard time recently because there is another man named Brandon Huffman. This guy played for UNC last year, and he entered the transfer portal a few weeks back, and he's been sitting quietly without a home in the transfer portal. And so, long story short, do you have any intel on Brandon Huffman's transfer situation? <laughs> I, I saw that uh, on, on Twitter when the announcement came out that Huffman was uh, entering the portal. People were editing Brandon Huffman, our Brandon Huffman, from 24-7 and saying, wow, I didn't realize you scouted talent and you also were a 6'10", 255-pound big man who played at Carolina. So I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, but Brandon Huffman, the one who played at Carolina, actually has found a home. Um, he's going to be at Jacksonville State, uh, he announced uh, late last week. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a good thing for him. Um, you know, it, it didn't quite work out at Carolina, I think, because, you know, frankly, players want to play. And I think he saw that maybe that wasn't in the cards for him at UNC this upcoming season. So he made the move, and uh, I think he's looking forward to a fresh start. All right. Well, we wish both Brandon Huffman's all the best. And I'm sure Brandon Huffman, the recruiting analyst, will be happy to hear that his name mate has found a new home. Sherelle, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks for having me. And to the listeners, be sure to read Sherelle on InsideCarolina.com. He's a staff writer there. He also appears on the Inside Carolina podcast. They do coast-to-coast -coast episodes after every basketball game. And when there are basketball recruiting updates, 
he's on there as well. So be sure to check out the Inside Carolina podcast. Sherelle, thank you so much for coming on the show. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. I want to thank Jerry Meyer for coming on and giving his scouts takes on Greg Brown and UNC's recruiting class in 2020. Big shout-out to Jeff Howe from Horns 24-7 for coming on to talk about Greg Brown and Shaka Smart. Another shout-out to Sherelle McMillan for coming on to talk UNC ball. And shout-out to you because you're here listening, downloading, rating, and reviewing, and we appreciate that. I appreciate that. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show.